We are in our first week of this series called The Spirit of Christmas. When you think of the phrase, Spirit of Christmas, you think of just other things that this holiday sort of represents. And so you may hear the phrase Spirit of Christmas on, on a book, maybe on an album. Maybe there's some Christmas albums you listen to that has the Spirit of Christmas. You see it on a Christmas card. Surely there's a Hallmark movie that's called The Spirit of Christmas, right? And so you have The Spirit of Christmas. And so uh, we have turned The Spirit of Christmas into something that sort of means maybe some happiness or, or, or maybe a giving sort of um, attitude at, at this season. And we could talk about those things. We could talk about happiness and, and giving at Christmas and, and that kind of stuff. But really, I want us to focus on the real meaning of that. And that is the role that the Holy Spirit played in the Christmas story. So Spirit of Christmas is really about Holy Spirit. And when Holy Spirit and their role, and, and his role in what Christmas is all about. In, in, in Charles Dickens' novel, and of course you've seen this in lots of variations of, of, of movies, and I think there's even a Muppet movie that's like this, but The Christmas Carol. You ever seen The Christmas Carol? Yeah. And so uh, it talks about, it's all about Ebenezer Scrooge. He gets visited by three ghosts. Uh, one's, and one is the uh, ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. So we're going to borrow Charles Dickens' uh, terminology there and the titles for these sermon titles um, for this series. And this series is going to last for basically, there's three Sundays. And then we have our Christmas Eve service, which you don't want to miss that. That's going to be on the, on the uh, 24th at 5 o'clock. And then the next day is Christmas. Uh, I'm not going to be here, okay, and neither is anybody else. So if you want to come up and be in the parking lot, you can do that. But we're going to take off for that Christmas. Our Christmas service is going to be that Christmas Eve. But these three weeks, as we focus in on this, on the spirit of Christmas, um, today's message title is The Spirit of Christmas Past. The Spirit of of Christmas past. Um, because the Bible, in the Bible, Christmas does not begin just on the day that Jesus was born. Now you may think, well, Christmas story, Pastor Frank, if you're talking about Christmas past, the whole story is past. So I want you to kind of put yourself in, in Mary and Joseph's shoes, and I want you to think that that is Christmas present. And then we're going to go, be, uh, we're going to go further back, many years back, to Christmas past. Because Christmas didn't begin on the day that Christ was born. At least the, the plan of it all. And so there is a spirit of Christmas past. So what is the role? What role does the Holy Spirit play in the centuries leading up to this Christmas? What was the role in the spirit of Christmas past? So if you would, let's turn to our attention to 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you go in your, in your, uh, in your Bible, either your, your printed copy or your uh, digital copy of God's Word. So 1 Peter, kind of way in the back of the New Testament, and we have the the words and the scripture on the screen. First Peter chapter one, verse 10 through 12. Verse 10 through 12, and it says this. Concerning this salvation, the prophet, okay, let me set this up real quick. Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus, okay? 
So he's not just some random guy. And, and in fact, he, he's one of the three closest disciples. So he, he really got to know Jesus. So this is Peter talking. So considering this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you search intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christmas in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. This passage reveals a key role in the Holy Spirit in the years leading up to Christmas. And that role has to do with the Old Testament prophecy. The Old Testament prophecy. So that's where we'll begin this morning. The spiritual role in the Old Testament prophecy. First we learn from the Bible that the prophets who spoke in the Old Testament uh, from God was from the Holy Spirit. And we see this, if you would go to, uh, you were just there in 1 Peter, go, go look in 2 Peter. Just one, one book over. 2 Peter chapter one. Verse 20. 2 Peter chapter one, verse 20 and 21. And it says this. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the prophets did not speak on their own words. It wasn't their opinion. They did not speak their own thoughts or offer their opinions. Rather, they spoke the very words of God and did this through the supervision of the Holy Spirit. It's a simple principle. No Holy Spirit, no prophecy. Okay, so that's very important you understand that. Okay, so the Holy Spirit, and you may say, well, Pastor Frank, I thought the Holy Spirit was sent at the day of Pentecost after, you know, Jesus ascended into heaven. Yeah, that's when the Holy Spirit came like a flood on anyone who, uh, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and received the Holy Spirit. But before then, before Jesus landed on the planet, God nested the Holy Spirit on several different people uh, throughout history. And he did that so on the prophets and other people like King David and others and Moses. And, and so they were able to do what they were able to do because of the Holy Spirit. But the prophets not only spoke of Christ's coming, their words were also written down in Scripture as we can look. And we'll look at some of those prophecies today. And the Holy Spirit had an important role in that as well. You don't have to turn there, but it, it, we see this explained in 2 Timothy uh, 3.16. It says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Well, that verse alone could be a whole series if you really dissect that. But the word God-breathed speaks not only of scripture coming from the mouth of God, but also through the Holy Spirit. So it's really interesting. Our English words... Breath, wind, and spirit, breath, wind, and spirit are all the same word in Greek. They're the same word. 
Breath, wind, and spirit. And so when we, when we speak of scripture as God breathed, we are really talking about the inspiration of scripture by the Holy Spirit. The prophets of old prophesied that the power of the Holy Spirit and their scriptures were written down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the, pro, uh, the prophets got received that through the power of the Holy Spirit and as they wrote it down, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it down. So what are some of those prophecies? What's well, interesting to note, there are over 300 prophecies of Christ recorded in the Old Testament. 300 about Christ. It's amazing. That's why it's important to, to read all of Scripture. I love how the Old Testament connects with the New Testament. This whole book is about Jesus. And at all points, and, and we're going to see from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's all about Jesus and God's plan to rescue you, to rescue me from our sin and our shame. So, Let's look at three of those prophecies. We don't have time to go through all 300 of them today. So we're going to pick just three of them. And everybody said amen. Yes. So we're going to pick three of them. The first prophecy is found in the book of, um, in the first book of the Bible. Right? After the first human beings fall into sin. So look at Genesis chapter 3. That's an easy book to find. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 through 15. Again, This is the spirit of Christmas past. Past from before the birth of Jesus. Remember, the present is birth. And and you want to come back next week, we're going to talk about the spirit of Christmas present. And it's all about that time of the birth. But for right now, spirit of Christmas past. So uh, verse 14 through 15, Genesis chapter 3. So the Lord God, and by the way, this is after Adam and Eve sinned, and they realized they sinned, Okay. So this is what the Lord, so the Lord God said to the serpent, who's the serpent? Okay, the devil. Because you have done this, he's talking to Satan. Because you have done this, curse are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl in your belly and you will eat dust and all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is why I can't stand snakes. I know everybody, everybody says, oh, there's good snakes. No, there's no good snakes. They're all of the devil. <laughs> I see a snake, I kill it, then I research it, right? I was like, was that a good snake or a bad snake? That's just how I am. I'm like, woo. I can't do that. So we see this in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The serpent represents Satan, and so this was really God's curse on Satan himself. God's word of judgment on Satan here in Genesis 3 is also the first prophecy of Christmas. Here, uh, how, will be, uh, how will the great Satan be defeated? Through the birth of a little child. Right there in the passage is the offspring. The offspring of Eve, the seed of of the woman will crush Satan's head. Although Satan will also strike the heel, his heel, that means Jesus at the cross. That's what that's referring to. So we have this early prophecy right at the beginning when, when, when mankind fell. And by the way, this was, not, this was not a shock to God. 
God, God didn't put Adam and Eve here in his garden and everything perfect and put this tree there in the middle of the garden. Oh, they won't touch that. It'd be good. And they, and they ate from it. And they're like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? I didn't see that coming. You know, it's interesting to note. Here's a sidebar. I'm, this wasn't in my notes. But it's interesting. Why did God put the, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden? I mean, wouldn't you think that he would protect us? He would protect Adam and Eve? He wouldn't do that? He put it there because he loves us. And here's the reason why. If he really loves us, he will allow us to have free choice. He will allow us to have free choice. Because you can't have a God who's truly loving and it doesn't give us free choice, a free will. He wants us to live our lives and ultimately to choose him. So that's why he did that. But you have this situation where Adam and Eve sinned and right as they realized they sinned, God introduced Christmas. You've heard of Christmas in July? Well, we have Christmas in Genesis. It's pretty early. The spirit of Christmas passed. Uh, Paul talks about this in Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, capital S, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus is a seed of the woman who was born into our world to defeat Satan and to bring us into God's forever family. So that's prophecy number one, the seed of the woman. Prophecy number two is that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Go to Isaiah chapter seven. Isaiah chapter seven. Verses 13 through 14. Say, why are we jumping around all over, the path, uh, all over God's word? Because God's word is all connected from the beginning to the end. Isaiah 7, 13 through 14. And it says this. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. And now this is really God talking, okay? But Isaiah is a prophet, and he's saying the words of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and when you'll call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. This is amazing prophecy foretelling the virgin birth of Christ more than 500 years before it took place. 500 years. And if you read, if you read uh, prophecy, and it's so amazing, when you read prophecy in the Old Testament, it just kind of, it just kind of appears, right? It just kind of happens. I mean, Isaiah's not talking about, you know, women who have their, you know, who, who, who are virgins. I mean, he's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how the Israelites need to get right with God, and God is just so like, okay, here's, here's what you need to understand because you're not getting it. You need to follow me. You need to stop worshiping idols. You need to get right with me. And by the way, there's going to come someone who's going to be born of a virgin. That's just kind of, it just pops in there. And, and if you look at it, 
If you look at the Old Testament and follow it, it happens over and over and over again. He just kind of puts it in there in the middle of a story. And it's like, where did that come from? Well, it's, it's just foreshadowing of what is to come. It's splashes of the Holy Spirit. And that was a big splash of the Holy Spirit. Knowing that, he, that there will be someone born of a virgin 500 years later. Now, actually, the virgin birth may have also been hinted at earlier in that Genesis prophecy we talked about, we just read. When we are told it is a seed of the woman who will prevail, there's no mention of a man's involvement. But the prophecy becomes clearer here in Isaiah. Matthew, who's a disciple, Matthew recognizes this prophecy is fulfilled in Christ when he wrote about Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 1. If you want to turn to there, we can. Matthew 1 First book in the New Testament, okay? We're gonna have our Bible drill days. If you grew up going to Bible drill, right? If not, you may wanna get those little tabs in the Bible. Matthew chapter one, verse 22 through 23. And it says this, it says this, uh, chapter uh, 122, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew, a disciple, spent a lot of time with Jesus. He connected everything. He connected the dots. And so we have this, this sort of uh, prophecy here about a virgin birth. And then we also had the prophecy about the seed of the woman. And the third prophecy that we're going to look at today is born in Bethlehem. This is a key prophecy concerning Christ's birth. has to do with the place that he was born. Micah chapter uh, 5 verse 2. And just This one verse says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathia, um, Ephrathah, uh, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He's talking about Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem. Now, Micah is a different prophet. Okay, so it's not all about Isaiah. There's different, I mean, Christ's birth, and not just his birth, but his life, is, is you can see that in many, in most of the prophets. In this one, Micah, um, you see this, that he will be born in Bethlehem. So God literally moved heaven and earth for this prophecy to be fulfilled. First, God worked a miracle by which Mary became pregnant with Jesus without the help of a man. We will talk about that next week as Spirit of Christmas present. Next, God arranged for her marriage to Joseph, who belonged to the line of David. That's very important. We'll talk about that next week also. Finally, God prompted the worldwide census. He moved in the heart of Caesar, Augustus, who was ruler of Rome, who ruled over that, that part of the world at the time, and he put it in his heart, hey, it's time for a census. And because of that census, it caused Mary and Joseph to have to go to the town of his origin, which is Bethlehem. So God literally moved heaven and earth for this prophecy to be fulfilled. When the Magi came, the wise men came to Herod, King Herod, 
asking for Jesus, Herod called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. We see this in Matthew 2. Just look over one chapter. Matthew 2, verse 4 and 5. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. And they go on to say, and it's right there. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah. So, you have these prophecies, these three of the 300. These three in particular about the birth of Jesus. So, why do we have these prophecies? Have you ever wondered? I mean, could Jesus been, have been born without any prophecies being told? Absolutely. God could have sent Jesus down to earth. He could have, he could have sent the angel Gabriel, we'll talk about next week, talking to Mary in a dream with Joseph and let them know, hey, here's the plan. Congratulations, you've been chosen. <laughs> and he could have done that. He didn't have to do the prophecies, but he did. And it's really interesting why he would have done so. Why did God give us these prophecies of Christ's birth? Why didn't God just have Jesus born at Christmas without the preparation and all of these prophecies? We started off today by reading 1 Peter if you go back to 1 Peter, chapter 1, 1 Peter, chapter 1, you're getting some mileage on your, on your Bible today. 1 Peter, chapter 1. Peter tells us three things about the prophecies of Christ. He tells us of a, of a main focus a main content of the prophecies, and then a main audience. And we're going to, after we look at these three, we'll close it out. But he talks about the main focus, and main content, and the main audience. So what was the main focus of the prophecies? Well, we see it in, in 1 Peter 1.10. Look at 1 Peter 1.10. It says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you search intently and with the greatest care. When Peter speaks of the message of the prophets, he sums it up in the message of grace. The prophets who foretold Christ spoke of the grace that was to come to you. The subject matter is about grace. The subject of the prophecies was grace. The grace of God is God's kindness extended to us even when we don't deserve it. That grace came to us at Christmas when Jesus came, when God sent his son as a tiny baby into our world. So the main focus, the main subject of these prophecies, as Peter was letting us know, all of these prophecies about Christ it's about grace. The reason why we can now look at these prophecies is to, is to understand that God wanted to set up grace for you and for me. 
So the main focus or the subject matter was grace. What was the content about? The main content of the prophecies of Christ, look at verse 11. Trying to find out uh, the time and circumstances to which the Messiah, I'm sorry, to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So the prophets who spoke of this grace searched intently. It says that. They searched intently trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. In the Bible, the Spirit of Christ is simply another name for the Holy Spirit. Spirit of Christ, Holy Spirit, same thing. So here we see the Holy Spirit once again working in the prophets in the past to make these prophecies. And we see that the content of the prophecies was Christ. It was all about Jesus, specifically the sufferings and the glories that would follow. It's all about Jesus. Now, when we think of sufferings of Christ, we usually think of, of, of him dying on the cross. And yes, that was a, a ton of suffer, a lot of suffering. And he, and he endured a ton of ridicule and beatings. But when you think about it, the suffering of Christ really is not just about the cross. Christ suffered just by coming into our world. Think about it. Heaven, which we can't even fathom what heaven is like. But heaven, on its glorious throne, he left heaven, came down to, it, down to this earth. And he was a carpenter. He picked up the trade of his father, Joseph, and he was a carpenter, which means you have a hammer and a nail and a thumb, always working together. <laughs> and you think he felt pain? Yeah. You think Jesus had headaches? Yeah. Think he had a stomachache? Probably. Yeah, sure. You think he, he fell and skinned his knee as a kid? Had pain? Yeah. He experienced none of that in heaven. Do you think Jesus cried? He wept? The Bible says he did. He probably wept. He probably cried a little, quite a bit as a child. He didn't cry in heaven. He didn't cry in heaven. No tears in heaven. And so at least that's what Eric Clapton says. <laughs> but there's no pain. There's no pain in heaven. He, he suffered by coming into the world, just by arriving on the planet. He experienced being tired. He experienced hunger. He experienced thirst. Those are things he didn't experience in in paradise, in heaven. And so his suffering wasn't just a cross. His whole life was a suffering for us. So the main content was about Jesus. And the third and final thing, who's the audience? Who is the audience? Even though the prophets searched their own prophecies for clues about Christ who was to come, even though they put time and effort in trying to figure it out, they were not the main audience for their prophecies, okay? The, the, the prophets, they weren't themselves the main audience. 
Who was the main audience? The main audience for these prophecies is you, and it's me. In the next verse, 1 Peter 1.12, it says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels longed to look in these things. What was the main reason the Spirit gave to these prophecies? They were given for you so that you might hear the gospel and believe. You might hear the gospel and believe. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, Christ, that God sent his son Jesus into the world. And so the main audience for these prophecies about the birth of Jesus, it's, it's us. We can look at that, and we can read that, and we can make the connection, and to understand that God's entire plan from the, from the beginning of the Bible, from the beginning of mankind, before he even uh, put the first breath into Adam, his whole plan was redemption of mankind. That's what his plan was. It wasn't, oh, Adam and Eve messed up. Now what are we going to do? Well, let's let them just sin in life and we'll just kind of, we'll figure out a plan. You know, we'll, we'll spend many years trying to come up with something. Okay, well, let's do this. Jesus, why don't you go down there and die for their sins? And there's no connection at all. God's like this. Look, I had a plan for you before you even messed up. Adam and Eve, mankind, I had a plan for you before you even messed up. Can I tell you something? God has a plan for you even before you messed up. He chose you before you even messed up. He did. He chose you before you even messed up. Why? Because he loves you. Before he created Adam and Eve, and, and, and Genesis said he actually formed them. He spoke into being everything else, but he actually made, he used his hands he took the dust from the ground and he used his very hands. You have the fingerprints of God all over you. Just passed down. And, and while he was making Adam, he's like, I'm gonna love this man. Representing all of those who were gone after Adam. I know he's gonna mess up, but I'm going to love him. It's kind of like when you have a child, a newborn, and you hold that newborn, and you say, you know, one of these days, you're going to backtalk me. One of these days, you may want to run away from home. You may do all kinds of things. But guess what? Before you even do those things, I love you. 
before we even know how to do those things, I love you. And God is saying that to you right now. The redemption of mankind wasn't an afterthought. It was, it was set in place before Adam and Eve even, even sinned. And his grace and his story for you, for, for, for you to be redeemed of your sin, for your selfishness and, 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 your, and your shame and that empty place in your heart, he already has what it takes to fill it before you even sinned. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And the spirit of Christmas past points to the spirit of Christmas present. And I know Christmas present is about Adam and Eve, but eventually it will point to the spirit of Christmas future to us here today. Could you bow your heads, close your eyes at this moment? I just, I wanna make sure you get one thing. If you, if you could just walk away with one thing, if I, I, I would be successful in what God has asked me to preach today. If you can understand one thing, that God loves you before you even were born, but before you even sinned, and he had a plan to redeem you before you even walked away to do your own thing. And because of that, he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to come back home to him. He's waiting for you. You say, well, Pastor Frank, I've done a lot of things in the past. <laughs> That's why it's called the spirit of Christmas past. He was there. And he was still loving you. He was still loving you. So, if you just need to get right with the Lord, if you have an empty place in your heart, whether you're here today or listening or watching online, know this, he can fill that gap in your heart. All it takes is for you to surrender and for you to simply say, God, thank you for sending Jesus. I believe in your son. Please forgive me. Forgive me for the things I've done. Please, Jesus, come into my life. Be my savior. I want to live for you. I want to change. I need a savior. Thank you for loving me <laughs> even, even while I was sinning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's people here today or watching online who need to just get right with you, we pray, Lord Jesus, that they would just simply call out to you. I need you, Jesus, and invite you into their life. There's no magic prayer. It's just a willing heart. And I pray, Father, that you do a work, a miracle work in everyone's life and their heart. And let us understand, Father, that you long he long to show and reveal your love to us even more. But Lord, it's hard to understand that love if we don't invite you in. So cover us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.